Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NASDAQ Dorsey Wright podcast for the week ending on December 30th. Uh, my name is Ian Saunders, and we're joined as well today by John Lewis. John, it's good to have you on for the last, last podcast of the year here. Yeah, last one of 2022. So hopefully 2023 will be better than 2022. So I think a lot of hopefully we're putting a bow on this sucker. Yeah, I think a lot of people are hoping the same thing. And I mean, leading into the last couple of days here, I mean, we hadn't gotten much of the Santa Claus rally heading into this week, but or at least heading into Thursday. We're record at the time of this recording is is Thursday afternoon, getting up close to market close. And I mean, markets are definitely taking a little bit higher, a welcome sign that we haven't seen over the past couple of days. Uh, but we want to spend the majority of the time today with, with John on talking about some of the major technical themes and stuff that we saw throughout 2022. Uh, we won't be hitting on every technical theme because we don't want to be on here until until the uh, the actual start of 2023. Uh, but we just want to hit on some of those major points and then look at a few kind of major themes that we're looking toward now as we lead into the 2023 timeframe. Um, so John, I mean, I guess kicking things off in this, I mean, it's hard to get more of a major theme throughout this year outside of the inflation story and the rate uncertainty just really rocking domestic equity markets throughout the year, right? Um, I mean, we've had a lot of changes in many of the indicators a lot of changes and trends on charts. But I mean, I think that a lot of that volatility movement is, as you and I were just kind of talking about, you can see a lot of that kind of back and forth movement on the on the VIX, at least certainly from a PNF perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's right. I mean, I think that, you know, the big theme obviously is inflation and what the Fed's been doing. But that all that uncertainty has just led to all this back and forth action in a number of different asset classes, whether, you know, it's fixed income, and for example, you know, you've got, oh, hey, we're going into a recession. Then all of a sudden, oh, no, inflation's a problem. And, you know, just getting whipsawed back and forth. We've seen that in a bunch of the equity um, indices. As you mentioned, the indicators just going, you know, doing things that, you know, we haven't seen for years. And we have a morning research call just with the analysts. And we just keep throwing stuff out there that, hey, this hasn't happened since 1985, or this has only <laughs> happened twice since 1974. I mean, just like one thing after the other, and it's just been a really crazy market. Yeah, I mean, it seems like whether you're looking at those like participation readings, like you said, it's every other time, hey, this, this only happened, last time this happened was 2008. This only happened a couple of times, right? I mean, some of those, those um, bear market rallies, as they really turned out to be, played out in some of those environments, right? I mean, we got Looking at the VIX, and we've got a big spike higher right at the beginning of the year as the kind of the the Ukraine news came out, right? Um, kind of backed off of that in February, big spike higher in March, spike lower. And then kind of that movement in the summer was was really market rallied pretty significantly there in the summer time frame. And you know, a lot of people thought that we were kind of leading out of this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it looked like from what the indicators were doing and things like that. Yeah, it looked it looked like, hey, this is probably over. We're probably going to get a better market. And then, you know, that just turns out to not be the case. And everything is hinging on, you know, every time one of the guy, uh, one of the governors, Fed governor speaks, you know, there's like everyone's on pins and needles. I think that's probably going to continue into 2023. And it's one of those things like, the indicators don't work every time, and we've seen them kind of fail a couple of times. And I think the danger there is that then people start to fall asleep, right? So then when when it actually works, you know, then you're like, oh, it hasn't worked the last couple of times. I'm not going to take this signal. And then you're really kind of caught flat-footed. So as difficult as it is to do, 
it's like important to just keep implementing your plan and keep doing what you need to do. Cause eventually, you know, we always come out of these things and we find trends that you can latch on to. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's been a lot of changes in trends and I mean, that's, so from your perspective as a the, on the portfolio management side of things, I mean, you mentioned a lot of the the Fed speak just taking the really all of the headlines at any point, anytime there's any kind of Fed speak, that's kind of the, the bulk of the headlines for that particular day. Has that always kind of hinged, has the market always kind of hinged so much on that from in prior environments, or is this environment a little bit different, kind of maybe looking outside of some of the indicators? I mean, I, I feel like it's different. I think I think we kind of go through periods where the Fed is super important and then periods where it's not. And, you know, we there's certain things that, probably, you know, certain economic indicators are important for a little while and then they're not. Um, so, you know, those these things kind of come and go. And I just feel like this year it's been, you know, probably more market moving than it has in the past and like more instances of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just been a tough thing to deal with because, you know, that's just kind of a random surprise thing that happens, right? There's no way to model out what they're thinking or what they're going to say. Right, right. Um, as much as people would like to try to model out what they're thinking or what they're going to say. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. If only yeah. we could get a point and figure chart for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, where we have seen some, I mean, a lot of volatility, right? Look at the VIX. I mean, we've seen... Another interesting point, I think, with the VIX and looking at that on a kind of a one point chart, you can see pretty clearly that, I mean, we got up to the 38 level back in January this year, but no other kind of top in the near term top has surpassed that level. Each one has been either equal to or lower than the previous top. So, I mean, we have seen the volatility kind of maybe constrained a little bit. Right. I guess that's probably just kind of indicative of the the way it's calculated, too, um, as you get into more of a heavily or consistently volatile environment that VIX reading isn't going to have quite the same swings as it would have previously, right? Yeah. And and we don't have those like super panic highs in the VIX, like, you know, you see in like 08 or something like that. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting point to look at that chart and kind of see how it's just, you know, each successive top has just been a little bit lower than the previous one. Mm-hmm. I mean, one area that has been a little bit more consistent. I mean, we're talking about broader domestic equity markets, but I mean, one space that has been more consistent over the course of really throughout the year has been the value space, right? I mean, we saw a lot of this weakness, um, a lot of the kind of major major movement higher in the VIX when a lot of the previously leader areas, your technology space was moving pretty significantly lower, but values kind of hung in there a, a little bit more. I know one relationship that we were looking at was the Vanguard Value ETF VOOV um, stacked up against the Vanguard Growth ETF VOOG on a 3.25% scale. Um, that, that moved back to actually get a second consecutive buy signal in November here. I mean, we we see we saw it move to an initial buy signal in May of this year. So, I mean, that that theme of value over growth has been a more consistent theme than it has in kind of previous environments over the past few years. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, part of that is all the energy stocks, at least, you know, to start the year, were stuffed into those value indexes, right? I think, you know, I read something where now they're kind of migrating over to the growth areas and things like that. So we'll, we'll kind of see how that all shakes out. But, you know, energy from a sector perspective has really been the only game in town this year, right? And so that's, I think, tremendously helped those value areas. Also, um, you know, some of the stuff with rates has helped 
a lot of the financials too, like insurance and things like that with, with rising rates and that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, this has been a more durable kind of value over growth regime than we've seen in quite some time. So with something like that historic, I mean, is is that, I mean, obviously with some of the signal changes, I mean, we're looking at the X's and O's and the signal changes, but do you think that has more kind of legroom or potential to continue? Or is this is this kind of maybe we've seen the extent of it? It's been what it's been on a buy signal for seven months now. Is, is that too long, I guess? Yeah, no, I don't think it's too long, right? Like, you know, I kind of go back and think like the end of the tech bubble. Um, so like 2000, 2001, and you have this like massive transition uh, from growth to value out of like the large and mega caps into small caps. And, you know, like we could be seeing a very similar thing happening. So we've seen that value, uh, you know, the value trend, as you just talked about, you know, we also see kind of like a topping pattern in, in large caps versus small caps and things like that. You know, back then, like nobody believed it, right? Like tech was still going to be the thing forever. And it just wasn't. And we've had that large cap growth theme for a long time. Um, and that doesn't go forever. It just can't, right? And so I don't know whether, you know, the traditional large cap growth names just fall out of bed or whether they lag and we get something else. But I would say that, you know, it's definitely not too early for value to just roll over. Like that was a theme for years um, in in like the 2000s, along with international, along with basically everything but the S&P, right? Like that was the lost decade of the S&P. People like tend to forget that. But yeah, those trends can go a long time. And it wouldn't surprise me if we're seeing something very similar. Back then, it was like tech and like the NASDAQ 100 that really melted down. This time, it's like ARC, right? All those names that are in the ARC fund, that's kind of what's melted down this go around. And and we'll see if kind of history plays itself out again. Right. And it's even been, I mean, you mentioned some of these big tech names breaking down. I mean, it's even been some of the bellwether names. I mean, we just had, we were talking about before hopping on and talked about a lot in this morning research calls, as you mentioned, stuff like Apple, um, AAPL breaking down, falling to a two attribute, two out of five attribute rating for the first time since 2016. So it's, I mean, it's, it's been, especially more recently, some of these bigger names that we've seen kind of deteriorate and show some, show some pretty, uh, pretty notable absolute weakness um, on, on those point figure charts. Yeah, and it's it's just been really tough sledding in a lot of those former leadership areas. We've talked about tech, but you know, like communication services has just been awful all year long. You know, all of those kind of like online things like meta platforms, aka Facebook, you know, is, is an example in, in some of those things. So it's been just a really, really tough go for those. And the you know, it gets these growth stocks have so much baked into, into the terminal value. Right. I mean, you know, when you try to discount the cash flows, there's not a lot of cash flows in a lot of the a lot of these growth things. Right. So a lot of that's in the terminal value. And every time rates go up, you're discounting it more and more and more. And so, you know, if the the higher rates go, the more difficult that's going to get. And I don't see us going back to this like kind of zero percent interest rate deal. Right. Like I think the Fed's pretty much said like. We're not going back there. We're going to have a kind of different regime. And so it's going to be harder for growth stocks to, uh, you know, to get those same type of valuations that they had. Yeah. And and I mean, same thing on the 
the large cap, you, you mentioned that the large cap side seen kind of a topping pattern there. What kind of stuff are you looking at from that perspective when you're when you're looking at that large cap versus small cap relationship? Yeah, so I was, uh, I think yesterday I was just looking at like a line chart of the Russell 1000 versus the Russell 2000. It's just been kind of moving sideways. And you can do that on the Dorsey right side too with ETFs, whether it's like the Russell 1000 versus the Russell 2000 or something like that. So yeah, there's there's a number of ways to do it. A lot of times too, if you shrink the box size down, it some of that becomes more clear. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are those are some good ways to do it. Yeah, and I mean, generally when coming out of a, a bear market environment like we're in, I mean, you want to see those small caps kind of lead the way, right? Yeah, it is nice when that happens, right? I mean, because you have you have a lot of stocks then doing really, really well. Um, so yeah, that is very helpful. When, you know, it's those mega caps leading, it's, you know, it's a very small number of names that tend to lead. If we can get things spread out, that's going to be a lot better for people who do active management, who do tactical strategies, like things like that, because there's just a lot more good performing names to pick from. Right, right. Um, I mean, in talking about good performance, I mean, I guess we we hit on some of the good performance that we'd seen earlier in the year from many of the energy areas um, and the domestic equity side. I mean, energy continues to sit up at the top top rate sector in those colleague sector rankings, right? And I know it's a pretty um, it's it's held on a lot of those energy stocks in particular have held on to a lot more relative strength than maybe the the energy space and looking at crude oil has right. I mean, I know we were you and I were talking about before hopping on and looking at that crude oil chart. That that two point chart doesn't certainly doesn't look as great as it did in in June of this year. Um, we, we've had a pretty consistent move lower, but some of the near term moves. I mean, it's it's kind of touching up touching right up against that trend line again. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's always tough to predict, you know, kind of what happens with these commodity prices. But we do have a weaker dollar. I mean, that should help commodity prices. So, you know, if we can if we can get that, uh, you know, if we can get crude to break out above that trend line on that two point chart, I mean, that's a that's a pretty good sign there. And as far as the stocks go, like, let's not all forget how far out of favor energy was for so long. I mean, I believe energy got down at the low point, about two and a half percent of the S&P. So it was really kind of an irrelevant piece of the S&P. So if people think like, hey, this energy run has gone a long way. I mean, these things on a relative basis and then their relative valuations really came in because they had underperformed so long. So yeah, there could be a lot left in this energy move. And if we get crude, crude to break out and start moving higher, I think these things could break out and go again. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen, I mean, energy has historically over the past five years, so it's three to five years. I mean, it, once it's gotten to the first place in Dolly, it, it hasn't stuck around too long. But we, we've definitely seen that be quite different throughout the year um, in, in this year. I mean, it's been in the top, one of the top first or second ranked areas in Dolly, really since, since January, right? And the energy, space or the from a domestic equity perspective is certainly still hanging around there. So if we see a little bit more of a break break from crude to the upside, um, breaking through that trend line, that would certainly be a, a positive sign for the kind of continuation of that theme as we look toward 2023. Um, but I think another another area that we're kind of look as we kind of look toward the 2023, you mentioned the US dollar. I mean, the dollar, John, I know you, you talk about the dollar on the Wednesday calls that we do on the kind of those analyst discussions. And it seemed like just for week after week, it's dollar, another 
buy signal, dollar creeping higher, another buy signal, dollar creeping higher, right? And it's been quite the opposite, really, since October. It's been moving lower, another sell signal. I mean, we got four consecutive sell signals on that default chart for the uh, the DX4 slash Y on the platform, moved into a negative trend earlier this month. I mean, it's been that pretty kind of sustained weakness that could help out commodities and maybe some other areas too, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it could help commodities. And I mean, it's kind of funny for us to say this right now because crude oil just defied the stronger dollar uh, for the first part of 2022. So, but I mean, generally the weaker dollar helps all that. We've seen gold kind of perk up, silver's perked up. And then we're seeing um, like emerging markets do better, international do better, like a weaker dollar tends to help those as well. So, you know, those areas are something that have been kind of off the radar for a lot of people for a, a long time. But we are seeing some signs of strength in there. And, and that's something that everybody needs to kind of be aware of. I think people's portfolios are very light in international because it's just been out of favor for so long. You know, we're starting to hear the why even bother with international talk, which means Hey, it might be time to bother with international. That's that's usually the time when everyone throws in the towel that those things start to perform much better. Right. Right. I mean, we've seen we've seen real sharp absolute improvement from a lot of these major international um representatives. I mean, in looking at the iShares EFA ETF there, ticker EFA, I mean, that has just route on that default chart just rallied straight up from that that low at 55 right back up into a, a positive trend up in a more kind of over overbought or extended position at 68. When you see kind of trends like this moving that quickly on the international equity side, do you think that has a little bit more legroom from a momentum perspective? Um, or yeah. is it just kind of a flash in the pan deal? Yeah, I mean, I think it does, right? I mean, I, I think those big moves are, are pretty significant, right? Um, I don't think that that means they just go straight up the whole time. They'll probably that would be, be nice, some, but... <laughs> yeah, right. There'll probably be some, you know, some pullback, some retesting, and things like that. But I mean, I think when anything has a, a significant, like, relative move like that, it is worth taking note because there's a reason for it. You don't always know what the reason is, and usually, it becomes clear like after the fact. So you know, we might find out later that. You know, there's a really kind of something behind this. It could just be that international has been out of favor for so long and the weaker dollar is just kind of stoking that fire. It might be something else. But regardless, like you said, those charts have shown significant improvement and it's definitely worth keeping an eye on that stuff. Yeah. And when we're talking about stems to the upside on those just for like EFA, I mean, if you look at EFA against the S&P 500 on on that relative strength chart. I know this is something we've hit on a couple of times throughout the week in the, the research report, but I mean, talk about a big stem lower on, on that RS chart. I mean, you were in it, we've been in a column of Xers or were on a column of O's rather on that chart for, for almost a decade. And then this week we got a little reversal back up in X's. So it's not a buy signal. You have a long way to go before we get back to a buy signal there, right? But I mean, that certainly at least should show some kind of confirmation of that, that absolute move. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's one of those things like that reverse, this massive, massive down leg. Now, there'll probably be some backing and filling and things like that. But that, you know, we haven't seen this for so long. So, I mean, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on this. 
And this is why we say like a, a lot of people's portfolios are really underweight this asset class because it's just been out of favor for so long. And you just kind of gradually drift away from that. So when it starts to move, you got to be really careful that you don't get caught flat footed. Right. And so I guess, I mean, we've so we've hit on some of the major major technical themes from last year and the stuff we're looking at this year. I mean, the dollar decline into the international strength. We just kind of run through some of that. The other area, we talked about some of the, the back off from commodities, right? We did have commodities up toward the top end of those Dolly asset class rankings. It's, it's fallen back a little bit down there in the fourth position. Um, pretty close with domestic equities there in the third and fourth position. And we've seen it rebound a little bit here, not because of the, the areas that were leading it earlier in the year, those kind of energy areas. If those showed a little bit more improvement, that would be great. But then some of the precious metal stuff, I know we've we've been hitting on that um, and looking specifically at like the chart of of gold on our platform and GC forward slash. Um, I mean, that's been a pretty was a pretty consistent movement lower throughout most of this year. Um, topped out in February up at the kind of 2070 mark, it looks like. Um, and then fell all the way down to the 1620 mark um, by November of this year. Since then, we've gotten five consecutive buy signals there on that default chart, moved back into a positive trend earlier this month. Um, typically, it might not be a, a, a great sign for equity markets to see gold moving higher, right? But I mean, it's hard to ignore that that trend change. Yeah, I mean, it's usually not a great sign, right? Because it's a it's an inflation hedge and and whatever. But yeah, I mean, we've had this big trend change, as you mentioned. We've had a number of buy signals be registered. And again, this is gold is just like off people's radar, except you know the crazy gold bugs that are in gold all the time, right? But gold is an asset that trends pretty well. You don't want to, you don't really want to own it all the time, right? But there's periods where it has dynamic performance. And we could be setting up for that. That's not to say that it will happen, but this is kind of a more durable uptrend than we've seen in quite some time. Right. And so what about on like silver on that side? I feel like that's kind of gold's younger brother that doesn't get talked about as frequently. But I mean, we saw some pretty sharp movement higher. Um, from silver so far this year. I mean, gold's still technically down on a trailing um, or on a year-to-date basis. Um, silver's positive. It's only positive what 1.3% or 1.4% prior to Thursday's move. But we've shown a little bit more follow-through from, from the younger brother there. Well, yeah. And I think a lot of people would take 130 or 140 basis <laughs> points this year. So it's, you know, it's a pretty big outperformer. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's not like it's not like silver's got the best looking chart, but you know, it's again, it's significant. It's broken that trend line. It's starting to move higher. Um, you know, we could come back and kind of test that breakout. That's certainly not out of the question. But, you know, with this kind of weaker dollar environment, these are things that tend to do well. And we've seen them do well. And so it, it's definitely worth uh, taking note. Right. And, and I mean, I think those those two areas we, we touched on earlier, some of the, the crude oil, that two point chart getting back up towards that trend line. If we saw that breakthrough it would be a good sign for commodities. I mean, seeing gold and silver, then that kind of strength within the commodity states kind of broaden out a little bit because earlier this year was a lot of energy, a lot of agriculture. Um, but seeing some of that uh, other areas showing showing some strength, I mean that that definitely affects RS signals a fair amount as well. And so, I mean, as we touched on that in that broader Dolly asset class ranking, uh, domestic was sitting there at 182 buy signals through movement on Wednesday. Commodities sitting just behind it now at 181. Um, 
would certainly lead to a pretty interesting start to 2023 if we uh, if we kicked off January or kicked off the the year going cash international and then commodities in that dolly ranking. <laughs> yeah, I mean we haven't seen that for a while, right? I mean that's right. that added that, to the list. I haven't seen it since when, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's like a mid two thousands type of theme, right? Where um, you know the S and P didn't do great. If you had um, you know small caps, mid caps, that was fine. Value was fine, but commodities did amazingly well. Um, and it really kind of, I think back on that time period, it was almost like you know, the golden era of asset allocation, right? Or like tactical strategies. Like all you had to do was buy something that wasn't the S&P and it was great. Um, I'm not I'm not sure we'll get that kind of breath this time around, but if we can get this kind of environment, which I think we will, where the S&P isn't the only game in town, then I think that's going to be really, really good for 2023. Um, it's going to allow you to buy a bunch of stuff that's kind of off the radar and allow you to add a lot of uh, value in your clients' portfolios, and some things that just people don't really think about when they think about investing. They're generally kind of really focused on large caps, the S&P names, kind of what they're seeing on CNBC. But there's so many other dynamic places that you can go um, and you know add value that really your clients aren't even thinking about those areas. So in other environments, I mean, I know since I've been here at Dorsey Wright, it's been a um, been a buy the S and P kind of market. You just kind of rock and roll with it prior prior the past couple of years. Um, but I mean, in, in other kind of environments, you think those mar- environments where you don't just want to buy the S and P make it a little bit easier for technicals to kind of come into the picture for people. Yeah, I really do um, for a couple reasons. One, you know, everyone just benchmarks their portfolio to the S&P for better or for worse, right? So, I mean, you're just not going to get around that. That's what people think of when they think the markets, uh, when they think of, quote, the market. So it's just easier to beat, right? Which is great. But then the other thing is, you know, you have these different areas performing well. And from a, from a, a research standpoint, using technical analysis for something like that is really great because it just uses price. Right. And it puts everything on the same scale. So you don't need to value like some stock in Argentina and then the Swiss franc and then whatever, you know, like you, you put it all on a price chart. It's all apples to apples by that point. And you can very clearly and objectively see what's working and what's not. And you just concentrate in the areas that are working. And, you know, that might mean you have very little domestic equities in the portfolio. And that's fine. Right. Like a lot of times internationals working, you might have some commodity stuff in there. So, yeah, I mean, I think technicals work really, really well in an environment like that because they just put everything kind of on the same scale. It makes the analysis very clean, very objective and very easy to do on a very large data set. And we can help you like break all those rocks down with the matrix or all those other things. So, yeah, that's a kind of environment that I think is really, really good for technicians. That's that's uh that, that's great. And definitely something that we can kind of look forward to, hopefully on the positive side, as we look toward 2023, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, John, I, I think in the, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that we could continue to touch on here and charts that we'd look at. But as we mentioned, we don't want to we don't want to keep everybody here throughout the weekend. I know there's a lot of a uh, a lot of big football games going on this weekend. I see you got the got a Tulane uh, jacket on there. Does that mean you're you're pulling for Tulane over over USC this weekend? Uh, I mean, you never know. Uh, I got, I have kids at Tulane. I went to grad school at USC, so it's a house divided at, <laughs> at our household. So we'll see how it goes. I think honestly, whoever wins, I, I kind of come out ahead. So good for there me. Go. 
There again, for those who don't know, John is out. In, John is out in Pasadena, so it might be. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he's. It's a uh, definitely a, a rocky move for for wearing that shirt around this weekend. Yeah, that's right. We have a two lane flag out in front of the house, and we've had a few comments. People walking by, so no uh, eggs yet. No, no eggs, no eggs. <laughs> but uh, the east side of LA is definitely like Trojan country here in Orange County. So there's a lot of SC fans around here. There you go. Well, I know we'll. Uh, I'll definitely be, be watching that, and along with the other football games that are going on this weekend, and kind of looking forward to. So we touched on some of these, some of these changes, and some of hopefully more positive environment as we look toward 2023. So, John, I think we're, as we kind of try to land the plane here, I mean, thanks for uh, thanks for j- jumping on and hopping on the last kind of podcast of the year. Um, o- always great to see you here, and we uh, we look forward to having. Everybody continue to come back and we'll continue to keep everybody updated with the, the research, whether it's through media such as this podcast or whether it's through the written report. Continue to keep you updated as we look towards some of these themes and changes into 2023. So thank you very much for everyone for tuning in this week and we will talk to you next year.